Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our final community chapel of 2018. We're glad that you're here to celebrate uh, Advent and Christmas and being together as a community at Tyndale University College and Seminary. We're glad that uh, we have three speakers today, three people who are going to be bringing some meditations, Constance Dender, Karen Gallimore, and Scott Ruffs. They'll be coming up progressively as the uh, service continues. I thought I would begin this morning with a, um, a reading that uh, my family and I have been reading now for about 10 years. It's from a book called God With Us. It's a wonderful Advent um, devotional. And this is by my favorite living poet, Lucy Shaw. She says, Just as in Lent, the season of watchful waiting and preparation for Jesus' dying and the great transformation of his rising, so in Advent, we wait for his coming down to be with us once again. The word Lent is derived from the Middle English, Lente, meaning spring, and in French, Lent, meaning slow. In winter, it seems that the season of spring will never come. And in both Lent and Advent, it's the waiting that's hard, the in-between of divine promise and its fulfillment, like a leap across a ditch after takeoff and before landing. Most of us find ourselves dangling in the hiatus, which is the interval, which in the interval may seem like a waste of time. We drum our fingers on the steering wheel as we wait for the light to change. We wait, gnawing with anxiety for the telephone call to tell us that we got the job, for politicians' promises to be fulfilled, for our health to improve, for headstrong children to grow up, for Jesus to come and resolve the world's confusion and pain. Paul gives us an astonishing understanding of waiting in the New Testament book of Romans, as rendered by Eugene Peterson. Quote, Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful the expectancy. End quote. With such motivation, we can see as we sense God is indeed with us, and at work within us as he was with Mary, as the child grew within her. Though the protracted waiting time is often a place of distress, even disillusionment, we are counseled in the book of James to let endurance have its full effect so that you may become mature and complete. Pain, grief, consternation, even despair need not diminish us. They can augment us by adding to the breadth and depth of our experience, by enriching our spectrum of light and darkness, by keeping us from impulsively jumping into action before the time is ripe, before the fullness of time. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Let's pray. God, so often in this season, it's all about the hurly-burdy and the frenetic activity of preparation, of getting things ready, of preparing for family, for food, for fun, for festivities, and yet we are so acutely reminded this morning that it's more than that. It's about waiting and anticipating with great expectancy and hope for that which is enlarging within us. God, we pray that even in these moments together as a community, we can pause and take stock of the wonder and beauty of Jesus Christ, the Incarnate One, the Emmanuel, God with us. God, for if it were not for that, 
nothing else would hold together. And we know in a fragmented world of despair and brokenness, so much seems to be falling apart, and yet you have come to promise the opposite. God, in that countercultural way of understanding what you are and who we are, may we rest in that promise, in that hope, in that great expectancy. God, for those of us who are waiting to get on with it, we pray that we will do so in a calm way. For those of us who are entering into a season that may be a little bit blue because of lost ones, we pray for comfort and peace. But more than anything, God, we pray that these days that are bringing us up to the Christmas season be filled with pregnant hope, with pauses of understanding what you have done for us and how it has come to pass. God, you're good and we love you. And we're grateful for all these promises and all the gifts that you have given to us, including this community itself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call it through the rain and calm the storm in me? Who am I? Today, people are living in an existential crisis. They don't know who they are, they don't know where they're going, and they don't know what to do if they ever get there. But most detrimentally, people don't know whose they are. And because of this, they don't know the promises of the Lord. During this Christmas season, we celebrate the greatest gift, the gift of our Savior. And Jesus is truly the gift that keeps giving. The Bible is filled with his promises, and one of the promises we experience on a daily basis as believers is the gift of peace from God. John 14:27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. This was the message that Jesus gave his disciples the night before his crucifixion. It's ironic that arguably the most clear description of peace of God came from Jesus the night before he gave his life. However, this is exactly what disciple Paul calls peace that surpasses comprehension. The peace of God is not based on circumstances like the world's peace, so it doesn't always make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to have peace in the midst of trials, in the midst of pain and sorrow. But peace from God is not the absence of trials. The, fear, the peace of God doesn't, sorry, the peace of God cannot be affected by trials. Completely contrary, the peace of God is never by circumstances, but instead overrules them. This is a peace that enables his believers to be obedient in the most fearful circumstances. The theme of God's peace is woven throughout the entire Bible, and there are two simple characters whose story could have never happened without peace from God. Let's look at Joseph, one of the main characters in the Christmas story. He was a simple man, a carpenter, and his biggest worry was planning a wedding with his betrothed Mary. But then God intervened. Joseph's life was completely flipped upside down. He went from being a simple man to being the earthly father of the king of kings. I can only imagine he probably said more than once, who am I to raise the Messiah? But Joseph was faithful and obedient. He had peace from God. And I think we can all agree, 
Just because he followed the Lord didn't mean his life was any easier. In fact, I'd say he faced even more trials. He went from planning a simple wedding to facing scrutiny from people who didn't believe that Mary was a virgin. And he still took Mary to be his wife, even though he could be ostracized from his community. And if he thought things would get better once Jesus was born, they didn't. He was visited by an angel and told to flee to Egypt because King Herod was looking for Jesus to destroy him. And not only that, but he was told to go into hiding indefinitely. Parents are naturally overprotective and want what's best for their children. So can you imagine the exhaustion and fear of living in hiding because someone wanted to murder your child? But Joseph said yes, and he lived in obedience. He stopped asking, who am I, and started saying, I am yours, use me. God blanketed him and Mary with peace. But this didn't mean that they didn't face trials. They still faced unfathomable times. But throughout this time, Joseph had a sense of peace, and he was favored because he was obedient. People today read his story, and they see the peace of God in his life. The next character I'd like to look at is Rahab. Rahab was a young Canaanite woman, and she was a prostitute. She was literally titled harlot in the Bible, and she was living in Jericho. She came across men who told her that the Israelites were to be feared. She heard about their escape from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, and the wanderings in the wilderness. She heard of the God of Israel and recognized him as the one true God. Joshua sent two spies to look over Jericho, and Rahab protected these two Israelites by hiding them on her roof. She then helped them escape, provided that they would keep her and her family safe. Rahab was saved by faith, and she exemplified her faith through action. She believed God was worth risking her life for, and she did. Rahab believed God was who he said he is, but this faith didn't make her life easier. She hid fugitives. She literally risked her life to save her enemies. And not only that, but once she helped the spies escape, her life was then in their hands. She had to believe that her enemies would save her and her family. Rahab must have asked herself more than once, who am I to gain favor from the God of Israel? But that didn't matter because she, know, she knew who she belonged to. She was a child of God. Joseph and Rahab were simple people, but their stories were great because they served the great God. They didn't rely on circumstantial peace, but instead they experienced the fullness of the peace of God because of their obedience and their faith. Throughout my life and in different seasons, I have often asked, who am I? From an early age, there were signs that I had extreme anxiety. And without any formal diagnosis before I could even vocalize how I was feeling, I found ways to control this anxiety. And as I got older and the more anxiety seemed to control my life, I used a method of routine. So when my mind simply said, you can't, I would let the panic attacks persist, and then I would do whatever action needed to be done. I couldn't go to drive throughs grocery stores, restaurants, movie theaters, or gas stations without first having a panic attack. But after the first time, I would continue going to the same place, the same place that I first went to. I built this routine that felt safe to me. But you can imagine how exhausting, inconvenient, and disabling this would be. But every time I succeeded in doing something for the first time, I felt a sense of peace. But this, this peace was fleeting. 
I remember crying out to the Lord many nights for a new mind and to be normal. I craved the ability to do things on my own, to make simple decisions, to go places and to talk to people. I wanted my mind to stay quiet. Admittedly, it took years to realize I had not fully surrendered my mind to the Lord. I wanted his guidance, but I wanted full control of my life. I was in my 20s when I surrendered my life in prayer, telling the Lord my mind was his. I already knew I was his child, but I never accepted his peace with open arms. I prayed for his peace in my life and a joy that could only come from him. I decided that when the Lord calls me, I would answer, and when the Lord told me to go, I would follow. So in my late teens, I was attending York University for professional writing. I had dreams to be a writer. But in my second year, God called, well, more like shouted, that I needed to be at Trinity Western. At this point, my life was falling apart because of my anxiety. I wasn't eating because I couldn't go to the cafeteria, and I wasn't leaving my dorm room with the exception of going to class for the most part. At the end of my second year, a pastor at my church mentioned Trinity Western. I felt a call, I applied, and all the doors opened. This change may not seem huge, but this transfer is what changed my career path. God was leading me into a completely new direction. Trinity Western didn't offer professional writing as a major. Instead, it offered communications with a specialization in writing. This meant that I needed to learn graphic design, communication theory, and marketing strategy. After Trinity Western, I thought I was done with academics, but the Lord knew better. Within a year, I was traveling to Lynchburg, Virginia to go to Liberty. And the Lord has a sense of humor. I was offered a full-time scholarship if I taught public speaking communications 101 to first-year students. Quite a leap from being unable to walk into a restaurant and order off the menu. But the Lord knew I was capable of bigger things when my mind told me otherwise. In times where I felt fear, anxiety, and suffering, the Lord did quiet my mind, and he covered me with his peace. These opportunities gave me the experience needed to work at Tyndale, and it isn't with a faint heart that I look at my position. I was hired to market for Canada's largest seminary. I'm a simple person from a small town. Who had dreams to be a writer, working from the comfort of my own home. But God had bigger plans. So I've often asked myself, who am I that God would use me? What makes me different? But the truth is, I started saying, I am yours. Use me. I know who I am, and I know whose I am. Do you know who you are? Um, I used to always wonder what it would feel like to come up here and speak. Now I know. I don't have to do it again. (laughs) Philippians 4, verses 4 to 6 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I was born in Jamaica. I'm very proud of being a Jamaican. Vivette. Right. Um, I traveled a lot in my 20s. I lived in Jamaica, I lived in London for a bit, and I lived in Italy for a bit. Um, the plan was not to get married. The plan was to travel and work, and the Lord had a different plan. And so I met my husband, and I actually asked him to marry me. Um, so we got married. He's Canadian. So I knew at some point in time, Canada would be an option for us to live. But I always said that the Lord will definitely have to come and say to me personally. He couldn't send it through anybody. He needed to, because you know, the weather in Jamaica, and I had planned to put up a slide on what the weather looks like in Jamaica now. It's probably 75 degrees, sunny, all day. And the weather in Canada, and just do a comparison for you to show, for you to see that the Lord really had to come and speak to me to move. So we have five children, four boys, one girl. So the two older boys moved up first. And um, when it was time for us to think about moving to Canada, the Lord did indeed speak with both myself and Wayne, my husband. And we moved up with the three little ones in 2014. We had three companies in Jamaica, and I had my own conference planning company. And I'd been doing conference and event planning for about 20 years. At some point in my mind, I figured, oh, we're moving to Canada. It's a huge conference planning city, country. Toronto is big in conference planning. It should be easy for me to get a job. Hmm, not so much. And so shortly after moving up to Canada, I realized that I'd probably have to start again, start over, which was a very hard thing for me to wrap my mind around. I was well known in Jamaica for conference planning. I didn't have to look for work. People were calling me. I did a lot of work with the government of Jamaica, and so that was steady work every year. Moving to Canada, and so in my mind, okay, fine, we're moving to Toronto. No, we moved to Whitby. So, that was another thing. I love Whitby. My children love Whitby. Um, the transition was rough. It's still a transition because we have to start over. But God has been faithful throughout it all. It's hard sometimes because we want to focus on the negative. But God has been faithful throughout it all. We've experienced some fun things for the first time. Snow on the first day it falls. Nothing after that. My daughter does snowboarding. I went to watch her once. I watched her from the window of the, the, the room. And I did see her a little bit. The longer daytime I was in summer. Toronto is absolutely fantastic in the summer. And new and different cultures. We experienced some not so fun things for the first time. Driving over one hour to work each day. One way. First time driving on the highway, and people speak of Jamaican drivers. They have never seen Canadian drivers. 
and my sons experiencing racism for the first time and having to constantly listen to what they go through almost every day at school and having to have that conversation over and over and over again. And for a parent having your children having to go through things like that, it is one of the most heart-rending things that can happen to you because you want to jump in and fix, and I'm a mama bear, and so I should be able to go to Sinclair Secondary and speak to the girl who told my son, go back to the plantation. I should be able to go and have that conversation with that little girl and ask her, what is happening? Where would you have learned this? Why do you think this is okay? And having to have that conversation with my sons, my daughter not so much, but definitely my sons having to go through that and me wanting to fix it. My son moving out to go to university this past summer, and me wanting to text him or call him or WhatsApp him every single day. And I realize now that he has stopped answering the phone and it goes to voicemail. And I realize now that his voicemail is constantly full, but I'm taking that in stride. But out of that, my son, my 16-year-old, he has started the Black Students' Union at Sinclair Secondary, the first time they're ever having something like that. And kudos to him. And he's very gung-ho about it, and we're proud parents that he has decided to step up and to do that and to fill that place. In all of this, God has been faithful. God has given my husband and myself a kind of peace, his peace that passeth all understanding which we need to deal with three teenagers. It has not been easy, but it has been worth it. Mondays are interesting days for me because I come into work, and if I haven't worked on a Friday, I come into about 86 or so emails. And so I go through the emails, and anybody who passes me on the corridor first thing in the morning will ask, Karen, how are you? And I'm like, it's a Monday. And usually, they understand what that means. But I was down in the cafeteria two Mondays ago, and a student passed, and we said hi, and he asked, how are you? And I said, I'm good. And then he stopped me, and he said, are you really good? Because, you know, sometimes people ask you those questions, and the automatic answer is, I'm good. But are you really good? And I'm very glad that he asked me that question. I loved that he asked me that question because I was really not having a good day that day. And the automatic answer was just, I'm good. But when I thought back about it, I'm really not having a good day. Who can I speak to about not having a good day? I found somebody and I spoke to about not having a good day and the day got better. We won't always be good. Sometimes we'll be, furthest thing, we'll be the furthest thing from good. But God, God is faithful and God is good and he's always with us, and he wants what is good for us. He knows our story. And we need to realize that we are not the entire story. We're just a part of a bigger story. And so we need to trust God that he will grant us his peace, his peace that passeth all understanding, that it will guard our hearts and our minds, and let us work at making our part of the story a good one. Thank you. Morning. Okay, so I second Karen's thing of not having to speak again. This would be good. 
Um, so I just want to give you four quick snapshots, I guess, of a time that I really experienced peace in my life in, in four different areas. So age five and a half, I was in boarding school um, in Africa. Um, three months at school, one month at home. I enjoyed it. I have great memories. I think I turned out okay. Um, but I can tell you, I did not have peace of leaving my family and my parents. And I would be bawling at night for the first week or so. Uh, but we were in a uh, dorm with 16 other kids, so I had to bawl really quietly. Um, my parents had a poster for me, and, and it was on the wall, and it was from 1 Peter 5, 7. I don't remember what the picture was, but it said, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, which in English was, turn your worries over to him, he cares about you. And my parents would say, be brave. Boys, don't cry, you'll be okay. And I'm like, yeah, great, God cares for me, but I'm not happy. Um, but in Africa, I really love the rain. If you've been to Africa, you, you know, you see this rain coming and you can distance how far or how long it's going to take to get there. And when it arrives, it rains hard. And our, our, uh, dorm had uh, a tin roof. And when the rain would hit that tin roof, it was really loud. So I could ball in peace all night long, but I love that sound. It, it would calm me down at night. And even now, apart from when I know our attics are leaking here, um, if I hear the rain, it really calms me down. I, I get a sense of peace there. Uh, fast forward to age 11, we moved to England. Um, so I'm a missionary kid. I'm from Africa. I'm trying to fit into England to high school now. Um, dorky large glasses, weird haircut. Not much of a haircut now, but weird haircut, funny accent, odd clothes. Uh, I was bullied quite a bit. Um, I did not fit in. I was good at sports, and that was the only thing. Other than that, I really didn't fit in. But I would do bike riding a lot. I would go out uh, evenings and weekend. My best friend and I, we would just go in the British countryside and we would ride for miles and miles. And um, we would talk a lot. There'd be a lot of conversation, but there would be a lot of silence as well, where we would just kind of ride on our own, wind in your hair, just kind of enjoying the creation out there. Um, in my pocket, I always kept a card, or it was in my backpack, and it was from First Peter 5, 7. And it was, you know, cast your care on him. He cares for you. Um, the only time I lost that, I will say, we were crossing a field uh, with our bikes. We were just walking across a field, and there was a bull in the field, and he wasn't happy. So we ended up having to run. I lost my backpack, and my friend lost his bike. Uh, it got trampled, and not peaceful then, but um, I enjoyed I actually kept that card uh, for many, many years. I, I finally lost it, um, actually just a few years back. It was really crumpled, but... Uh, so move to Chicago now. Um, I'm going to university. Now, if, if I've said this before, my family come from a family of missionaries. It goes back many, many generations. And there was an expectation that all us kids in the family, we'd be out on the mission field. Um, we would be told stories of, of family members who were sitting in the African savannah teaching kids about God. And uh, we even have a picture of my great something, grandparents uh, working with Hudson Taylor, and they have the long ponytail um, hair and the traditional Chinese garb. And um, I didn't feel called to be a missionary at all. It, it just wasn't there. I prayed about it. I felt sad that I didn't. I, didn't. I wasn't sure what to do. So I went to the next logical thing. I went to Moody Bible Institute, and I studied communications uh, video so I could be behind the scenes so I didn't have to do this. Um, graduated never used it, went into facilities, which I love. Uh, but I remember the day I had to tell my dad, because he was the one who was like, yeah, we're all missionaries, you're going to be a missionary. And I was driving from uh, Chicago to Toronto, and I drove at night, just finished work, and drove straight up for, for Christmas. 
And a couple days before I left, my stereo died in the car. So I had a dead silent drive the entire way, which was good because God and I had a very long conversation. Um, there was anger, there were tears, there was a very interesting conversation just about my disappointments, the expectations on me, uh, my fears, tradition of my family, things like that. But by the time I got there, I was at peace with the decision that missions wasn't for me and I was really going to go do facilities. I enjoyed it. Um, interestingly, the stereo started working again a couple weeks later, so I think God really unplugged it. And, and my fourth example, uh, I move ahead now to March 2013, and if you were here around that time, you know that it was, it was a busy season for us. We were just about to take over this campus, um, and our days were really long. We would be starting 7, 7.30, we would be missing some of our lunches, uh, we would be going up to 15-hour days, and then you get up and do it again. It was a busy season. And one morning I arrived, I parking lot D, used to have a fence around it, showed up there um, to meet with a contractor. No one had arrived yet, so I hopped out of the car, grabbed my coffee, and I was staring into the valley because it was really foggy down there. And my brain was just zipping through all the things we had to do. I was getting really nervous because I knew what the budget number had seen and that that wasn't going to meet it. We had to do more, and it was just, I was scared. Um, but I was just, I was watching the valley and there were a couple of deer out there. So I was watching them and I heard this click, 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 click. I wasn't really paying attention to it, but I was just watching the valley and suddenly a sister shows up next to me. I realized she'd been clicking her way with a walker all the way down there. Um, interestingly, we actually didn't even talk. We just stood there and both she and I just stood for a, a couple of minutes, a couple of good minutes, just watching the, the deer. And then she just turned to me and said, God bless you, son. And then click, clicked away. And I was, I was thinking, I was going, you're losing your home. Like, you've been here X number of years. You're now moving into an unknown home. Um, and she was at peace with it. I was like, okay, it's, it's okay. It, again, that was a very peaceful moment for me. Um, if you know me, you know I'm, I'm not a fuzzy-feely kind of guy. I'm a, I'm a guy of action. I like checkpoints. I want to have a big, long list. You know, I, I come in in the day and I go, okay, say hi to a coworker. Yeah, check, done. Ask how they're doing, check. Emotional connection for the day, done. Um, that's just who I am. As a kid, I was the one who talked all the time. You couldn't stop me talking. I was always doing, I was always being. Um, as I've gotten older, God slowed me down and, and he's given me those times of quiet and said, no, 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 you just, I'm going to unplug your stereo. I want you to just calm down and, and listen to me. Just let's have a conversation here. Um, I love the Christmas season. I, I know some people really struggle with it. I, I love it. Um, I love the giving. I love the music. We have a rule in our house. You can't start Christmas music till after American Thanksgiving. So literally the next morning, it is just blaring in the house. Um, I love the extra cookies we have, uh, gluten-free, of course. Um, and by the way, we're done with all our cookies. We're done with all our Christmas shopping. We are way ahead this year. Um, for those of you who wear glasses, I love staring at the Christmas tree without my glasses on. And if, if you have 20-20 vision, you are going to be like, what? You can't even squint down to what we see. It is these big balls of light, and it is so beautiful. I just I love staring at the tree. It's a very calm thing for me. Um, one of our traditions was that we would wrap up 24 different books about the Christmas season, just kids' books, and we would put them under the tree, and the kids every night would go grab a book, and we would unwrap it, and then we'd read that Christmas story, whatever it might be. And one night, oh, years ago, uh, my daughter was probably five, uh, she asked, do you think the animals were calmer that night that Jesus was born? And I thought about that. I'm like, I'm not a theologian. I'm not an academic. I just made it through school. Um, but I suspect yes. 
The creator, the God who created the world was now present in that space. I bet you the animals of the world probably had a bit of a sigh of relief going, something's happening here, God is here. I really enjoy this season and I remind myself when I go through the Christmas season, you know, we get off work, we have that extra week. Work's going to continue next year. Those projects, they're going to come back again next year. Those help us, you keep submitting, they will come back next year. And it's okay. I can, I can give that to God. I would just encourage us uh, over the Christmas break, shut off your phone, turn the TV off, just take some quiet time. Um, Scott's translation of 1 Peter 5, 7, calm down, slow down, relax in God's presence. Talk to him about your concerns because he cares for you. We just want to say uh, thank you for coming on behalf of the staff association. Thank you also to Constance and Karen and Scott for being willing to share with us this morning for your transparency. Um, I really appreciated it. So I think many of us in this room did as well. Uh, We want to say, let you know that as you leave today, there is a hot chocolate, hot cocoa bar. So please fill up a cup and enjoy that throughout the day. There's also some Christmas cards. Um, They're blank Christmas cards, so you could use them as a Christmas card for yourself or it's to give to someone else and maybe fill their Christmas time with some peace. Um, We are gonna do one more song, but we wanna respect your time too if you have to leave. And uh, I'm just gonna give you a Christmas benediction. May you be filled with the wonder of Mary the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the Magi, and the peace of the Christ child. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Go in peace.